thank you so much for joining us here at Soapbox. Um, first question that we have is, can you briefly introduce yourself and your line of work? Sure. So nice to meet you, everybody. My name is Bella. I just recently, um, this May, graduated with a master in clinical rehab and mental health counseling degree in University of Pittsburgh from the States. And before then, I also studied psychology in my undergrad. And my work experience, I can briefly sum it up as I have worked both in school settings and in hospital settings. So for the last year, I did my one year of practicum plus internship at Carnegie Mellon University's counseling center. In there, I was doing um, group and individual uh, therapy sessions at the same time, also did a lot of case management and ran some activities. While I was in hospital, I worked in um, the inpatient unit of general adults. Um, it, it can vary from schizophrenia to depression, anxiety. And that was in my school, University of Pittsburgh's um, hospital. At the same time, I also did a little bit of shadowing in Peking University Central Hospital with the outpatient units with some of the psychiatrists. So I have a little bit of experience here and there. Currently, I'm in Shanghai and I am part of the CCS, which is uh, the Community uh, Care Center. And uh, it's the main quarter is located in Biwing and I'm really happy to join them. At the same time, my supervisor is the chief of psychological department at United Family Health Hospital. His name is uh, Dr. George Wu. He's also the president of Simha organization. For those of you that might not be familiar, um, the full name is Shanghai International Mental Health Association. Inside this group, there's currently about, I'd say about around 40 to 50 counselors, psych psychiatrists, psychologists, um, they're all based in Shanghai, but they're from various backgrounds around the world. So yeah, that's a little bit about myself. And fun fact about me, I went to the U.S. when I'm 15 years old. So 10 years, 10 years I spent in the U.S. Well, actually nine years. Um, during that time, I also traveled in United Kingdom and um, in Hong Kong, Japan. I did some exchange programs here and there. So yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Um, thank you so much for that introduction, and today our topic is mainly surrounding eating disorders and body image, so can you please give us like an overview of what eating disorders are, like what, why they exist, and what specific types there are? Yeah, I think that's a great question, but before I answer what type of specific eating disorders there are, I'd like to introduce this idea to everybody that's listening, and obviously you guys that are here. What's diagnosis or label of eating disorder does not really matter that much. I believe they are the manifestation of underlying difficulties an individual is going through. So give you an example. Uh, there are different ways that, um, that people want in life. And one of the main things is people want to have control in their life. And at times when unexpected trauma happened to us, we want to muster up a sense of I can still have control of my life I can still have control of what I can do to myself and which is all right which is all right to have a sense of control of your life but unfortunately some people turn that into maladaptive thought and behavior and become very hyper aware of what they eat 
or that can turn into maybe binge eating and throwing up later on or just very very restricting of what their diet can be so that's that's kind of an idea i want you i want to introduce yourself but if we're going to talk about the different types of eating disorder there are mainly three or four different types the first one is bulimia nervosa which is what i just talked about is uh is the recurrence episodes of binge eating plus inappropriate compensatory behavior. So it's like, imagine you eat abnormal amount of food and afterward you feel really bad about eating all those foods and you try to throw up, you intentionally try to throw up or you take laxative to make yourself, you know, let your body flush out all of the foods that you eat. And uh, that's the first type. The second type is anorexia nervosa. That is marked by restriction of energy intake and significantly low body weight. And uh, the psychological impact can be um, that they have like cognitive distortion about the self-image and intense fear of gaining weight. And the third type is binge eating. Binge eating is just like abnormal amount of eating food without really throwing up. And there's the fourth type. The fourth type is kind of rare, but it's called pika. It is persistent eating non-nutritive or non-food substances. So this is an overview of like what are the different types of eating disorder that the current DSM-5 kind of like puts people into categories. But at the same time, I want to introduce the idea of these are all the different manifestations of struggles people are going through in their life psychologically and physically. So yeah, that's that's kind of like a overview of what eating disorder can be. Oh, I see. That's um, very insightful, and I do agree that um, a lot of times, like, there's a mislabel between um, you have to get professionally diagnosed in order to be tr- counted as having a disorder when that's um, untrue in most cases. So, why do you think um, eating disorders are so prevalent among our age group these days? Um, that is talking about adolescence. I think that's a great question. Um, to talk about this, I think um, it could be helpful to introduce the risk factors of developing eating disorder or severe eating concern, because I don't really want to diagnose people with like eating disorder even when I don't really have that much information about them. So let's think about it this way. Usually there are three big categories of what contributes to someone's psychological well-being or maladaptive, um, let's say, uh, mental health disorders. The three types are, the first one is biological impacts. Second is psychological. The third one is sociological or um, uh, sociocultural or environmental. So let's get to them one by one. So some of the risk factors of developing uh, eating disorder, the biological side can include uh, family history. If um, your family members, particularly the ones that are close relatives to you or your direct parents, grandparents have a history of eating disorders, then you also have a higher risk of developing that. Also, if you have type 1 diabetes, uh, you can also have a higher tendency to develop that. Type 1 diabetes, for those that might not be that familiar with it, is people that are born with a deficit in their pancreas. That means their body cannot really produce insulin properly. And the psychological risk factors of 
eating disorders. This is, this is the very interesting impact is certain personality has a higher tendency to develop eating disorder. I actually want to give you guys a chance to guess what type of personality you guys think might have a higher tendency of developing eating disorder. What type do you think might that be? I think maybe a more controlling type or like neurotic, maybe. I think that's a good guess. Any other mm -hmm. ideas? Maybe um, those who have the tendency to believe that they're above others. I don't know, because then maybe they would want to keep the image of having what is um, society, what, what society constitutes as a good body and keep that image of themselves. I think that's a great answer. So the 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 key word here is perfectionism. Somebody that has really rigid and high standard of themselves has higher tendency to develop eating disorder or any other types of mental health um, concerns. It can be anxiety, it can be depression. So think about it. If you have really high standard of yourself, then you then you're hyper aware of like what you look at and what type of food you put inside your body, how much calorie you, you take into your body. And you are hyper aware of how other people might perceive you. And that can put a lot of weight on yourself psychologically and physically. And other, other different um, psychological risk factors can also include, like you mentioned, uh, Julia, um, the cognitive distortion of self perception, also the inflexibility of their belief system. And also um, eating disorder can have a higher rate of um, correlation with anxiety disorder. Because if you think about it this way, food is the primary reinforcer. By that, it means you don't need to be taught. Like since the moment you're born as a baby, you know food is good. So if you give a kid food without telling, okay, this is a good thing, they would know this is a good thing. So that is a primary reinforcer. So unfortunately, some people, when they have really high anxiety, they don't really have, they have not really developed a healthy coping strategy. So eat food is their coping strategy. And when they're constantly on high level of anxiety and eating food is kind of the way to cope, unfortunately, they can start binging. So that's kind of like a pattern here. So that's that's a little bit about the psychological um side of risk factors and also the another big part is the environmental social cultural part so we can take a take a look at that on two different levels first level is on the micro level so what is your family system like what type of school do you go to what is the peer pressure among amongst you guys regarding like how should you look what type of food you guys eat that's on the micro level so micro level is kind of like the small community you guys are surrounded by on the macro level that's like kind of like on the whole societal levels what is the society telling you about like what is a good way of looking what is good looking and sometimes it can be toxic particularly when we associate certain body types with personal characteristics like for example it is not uncommon for people to think to have the stigma of if you're fat that means you're lazy but that is not 
quite true and it's pretty judgmental. So sometimes when we have this link of how we look reveals who we are, then that is pretty harmful too. So that's kind of like the, the uh, an overview of like the risk factors to develop eating disorders. Any questions for me? Any comments? Um, I have a follow-up question. Um, why do you, why do you think uh, food has become such a mean of control for people who um, are more perfectionists? And why do you think food is the way that people choose to um, maintain control in their lives and not other parts? Like, why is that a very specific? Like, if, it seems like food is a very specific thing to want to have, like, for you to want to have control over. So why is that such a um, major part of um, society these days? Like, why does everyone seem to fixate on the amount of calories they intake and, like, what food they're eating? Um, yeah, I think that's my question. Okay, I think there are, like, two two ways I can think about this or talk about this. The first is why people choose food as a mean of control in their life. If we think about it, because it is very accessible, that means it is we, we have very easy access to food in the current society, and controlling what you eat and not eat compares to other ways of coping, that seems to be like a very straightforward and easy to access way of coping. For example, like compared to our obviously in the Chinese society, but maybe in the American society, other ways people cope is by alcohol abuse or substance abuse, right? But in China, uh, we don't, because the government has very heavy control on drugs. So we, as in this society, we don't really have that as an option, which is a great thing. So yeah, so food compares to many other substances or things in life is just a much easier access, a much easier to access type of substance, I would say. And the other part is why people are so fixated on what we eat, like mentions, they're, they're like majorly twofold to it. One's the psychological parts. That means like within an individual, what is the person's belief system? If the person has very perfectionism ideal of who they are or what they can be, and also plus the, the whole societal or the family system is telling them like what you should look at, then if you fuse those two parts together, that's what we see nowadays. I see. That that is pretty interesting. How like our cultural um, backgrounds or like our governmental reg regulations may have affected that trend. But I was I would like to circle back to um, when previously we were talking about how um, our environment like plays a factor into this and how um, uh, the, the, it's the tendency of people who pro um, who might have perfectionism. And I would like to ask because. We know that in China, I feel like in Asian culture specifically, there's a lot of competition going on. Whether, but often we focus on the academic side of it. Um, but I feel like nowadays a lot of body image is also has sort of also become this competition. So, do you think just nature文化, such as this play into um, the manifestation of eating disorders, where like 
uh, internal competition over body image. I think that's a great point right here. Like when we are constantly living in competition with each other, particularly when the society is pushing people or we have this idea of like a certain part of us is the whole of us. Like for example, when our whole entire being from inner to outer is being reduced to one specific criteria, then that is not healthy. When our whole being has been reduced to one specific score on a school report or one specific number on your weight or just how, how skinny you are. Like I, I remember a few years ago, there was this challenge of A4 challenge. Like people would put like a like A4 size paper in front of their waist and they can hide their whole waist behind it. And people have this type of competition. I remember when I see that, I was like, what, what, what's the point of doing this? It's not really a healthy competition. And what is the point of if you're able to hide yourself behind that paper or not? What does that mean for your whole entire being? So sometimes when people hyper-focus on one specific aspect of ourselves or others, then, then that is not healthy. So the way to cope with it is to try to acknowledge yourself as an entire being. Maybe I have not a school, not as good school grades. Maybe I don't play as much sport as my peers do, but I do well in other realms of my life. I'm a great person. I have good um, humor, for example. Then maybe if we start to look at the positive side of every single individual, including ourselves, maybe we can be more comfortable living living in this community oh i definitely um that is great message um i think everyone should be able to um think like that so i i hear you mention the a4 challenge i actually remember it a couple while ago and mm -hmm. definitely i think social media does play a huge role into body image problems and what's um now that like um doing is so prevalent mm -hmm. Uh, there are definitely more challenges or tags that comes along. Like I see a lot of girls on Douyin have this hashtag Wei Pang, which oh. is um, this thing that they put they on. They are not Wei Pang. Let's be real. I know. I know that's the problem. <laughs> so I'm think. Uh, my question is sort of like, how do you think social media like Douyin, Instagram, Pyeongchuan have influenced this trend of body image problems and like, what's your take on it? You see, this is kind of like what comes first. Does the egg come first or does the chicken come first? Because we can think about it this way. Social media is just a platform. Supposedly, it should be neutral. It is just a place that gives everybody a space, a voice to talk. If the society in general is very focused on this type of ideals, beauty ideals, or this type of let's say topic then obviously more people would like to share on a platform like this and share what they think is more beautiful and then that prompts other people other people that maybe they originally were not really interested in this idea they see this all the time oh, okay maybe this is not an idea maybe this is not a problem within me this is one way to think about it Maybe it was started originally in a community. Even if we remove social media from our life, we, 
we can still find ways to compete with each other. Another way to look at this is obviously maybe social media is not really a neutral platform. It has the algorithm to continuously push out information that they think people would be interested. And unfortunately, some of the messages that are being pushed out is not, it's not the greatest. And then we start to see the society or the community being influenced by these messages and start to have a hyper-awareness on body image. So it can be both ways and it could very much be kind of like a cycle going on. And I'd like to talk a little bit about um, the micro scale of like the community too. This I this is where I can bring up a little case that I saw when I was um when I was at Carnegie Mellon University's counseling center. So this is a student that was freshman sophomore year, and she grew up in a family of artists and musicians, and she she was majoring in theater at the time. And she attended art school, middle and high school. So when I was doing the intake uh, assessment with her, um, she brought up some concerning things that she did regarding her eating. Like, for example, really restricting her food intake and sometimes intentionally not eat when she's really hungry. And throughout our conversation, um, I kind of discovered that within her family this is kind of like the norm her family would just they they're they're vegetarian and they eat mostly just like very plain foods does not really have that much meat intake or any carbohydrates and her father was also pushing the idea of like if you're skinny then then you look good since she wasn't young and since she was at a young age and when she was in middle and high school, when she was in the performance arts major, it was also kind of the norm. And inside the school, obviously, some people were dancing ballet. So they naturally had this tendency to be hyper-focused on what they look. And it was some of her closest friends were also having some eating concerns. And one of her close friends has been hospitalized twice because of um, the eating concern. So throughout this 19 years of her life, this is kind of the environment she was surrounded with. Doesn't matter if she goes to school or, or was at home, this is kind of like the norm. So when I was making referrals to her, I, I was basically saying, you know, maybe it could, it could be worth it if you talk with a therapist that might be helpful to you in regarding to like um, have a healthier diet. She was a little bit reluctant to change because she grew up in that environment and to her that was the norm. So so obviously the micro scale of community can play a big impact on the person. If this is if we take another example, if you grew up with physical abuse in the family households, it is really hard for you to see maybe there's a different way of interaction. Maybe there's a different way of interacting with others, with your family members. This, this is kind of the same thing. 
if you grow up in an environment that is telling you this is kind of like the norm, everybody's doing it this way, then it's, it can take some while to change that conception or to kind of see, okay, maybe there are other people out there that are living a different life. So yeah, sometimes I think about her. Um, I think, I feel like I relate with this story a little bit because I feel like I have some friends who are also, like, they really buy into the idea that skinny is always better and they just, they torture themselves by not eating and it really, like, breaks my heart seeing them do that and when whenever you uh, mention this subject, they dismiss you or they, like, they always just believe what they're doing is the norm and what they're doing is good. So whatever you're saying, they're just not listening to you and they don't believe that what you're saying can actually help them. And I never actually know what to say in these situations. So do you have any advice for um, people who have family or friends suffering from um, disordered eating or like any sort of body image issues? Do you have any advice for them to help? Sure. So what? So you mentioned you might be a little bit confused at what you can say to them. But I think uh, another yeah. way to think about it is instead of saying, showing them, modeling to them like what an what an alternative lifestyle could be. So instead of saying, okay, maybe this is not so good. That that might come off as a as a like to them they think that might be a little bit judgment, so they might not want to listen to you, right? So maybe like, for example, if you were to go out dining together, you just eat whatever normal portion of foods that you usually eat and just show them instead of telling them, like, maybe there's a different world out, out there. I think that might be a little bit more helpful. That's just me thinking. What do you think, Julia? Um, I... I feel like I'm also a little bit biased because I do also come from a culture where skinny is always considered better. And I've mm -hmm. worked pretty hard on myself to believe that um, it doesn't really matter as long as you're like healthy and happy. So mm -hmm. I think for me, when it comes to these type of people, I feel like they see me eating normally as like, um, as that I'm slacking and I'm not doing enough to make myself perfect. So I feel like if I'm showing them what, to me, normal looks like, they would just think that, oh, they're just not working, like, she's just not working hard enough on herself in order to have what I'm trying to achieve. Does that? Yeah, I hear that. So I think I was thinking about an idea, if you guys have heard about it, uh, it's called motivational interviewing. So this is, this is, this is kind of like a five stages process in order to make any major changes in your life, you kind of have to go through these five stages. And the first stage is pre-contemplation. And that means at this time, maybe people do not really think this is a problem or do not really think that maybe I can do something to change. So I think at this stage, the most important thing to do is just to raise awareness. For example, we're having this conversation together. I think this is, we're already on this path of raising awareness. And sometimes, like mentions, making a major change in your life can take at times years, which is okay. And sometimes what we can do is just plant a little seed inside their minds of 
maybe there's a different world out there and that's okay. Does that make yeah, sense? I think, yeah, it does. I think it's definitely important that people are sort of gaining more and more awareness about how body image is such a big problem and how it would affect us both mentally and physically. Um, it's definitely great that we're having this conversation. So and um, yeah, sorry, sorry to jump in. And you remember, if you remember earlier, I mentioned the idea of viewing ourselves and others as a whole human being instead of being hyper aware of one specific aspect. So, it, like mentioned, maybe some people are being very judgmental or perfectionist on um, themselves instead of saying okay maybe maybe this is one way of like eating is like one issue but maybe there are other ways in their life that are that they are also very judgmental of how they should be living and in those instances you can also just compliment them on what you see they are what are what are some of the good things about them and just to let them see that maybe starting to have self-acceptance acceptance in many different areas of their life. It doesn't necessarily have to start with the eating part. It can start with other parts. Maybe that can also make a difference. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I would also um, like to ask, this is sort of, I'm sort of um, during the conversation to something else. But we've talked a lot about, I think a lot of um, um, a lot of people have reflected on specifically how media influences these type of behavior. But lately, um, there's a growing trend of how consumerism might have affected these behavior. I don't know if you know that lately, um, Brandy Melville has had a scandal. Uh, it's actually, hasn't. it's not recent, but a lot of people, especially Western culture, has already recognized that. Brandy Melville um, only supports this one-size idea of what women should fit in. Um, but recently, China has also been um, digging up on that. So I'm, I'm sort of just wondering how much, like to what extent do you think consumerism has nowadays affected our Im body image notions? Consumerism... Um... If you can elaborate a little bit more on like what do you identify as consumerism, that might be helpful for me to answer that question. Um, maybe just, um, like I mean, consumerism as as in just the, like maybe just focusing on fashion industry. Like a lot of fashion industries are not size inclusive. Um, like I mentioned, um. There's the one-size-fit-all policy in the store called Brandy Melville, but it's not actually one-size-fits-all. So that, that was what I was referring to when I talk about consumerism. Yeah, and um, if, you, if you're not familiar, Brandy Melville is this like uh, store, this brand, and all of their clothing only have one size, and it's typically like an extra small to a small, and it's only one size. So, and their brand basically explains that it's one size fits most, not all. So it's like immediately their um, target audience becomes so much smaller and more exclusive so that it makes everyone 
who is of a slightly different size feel like um, they don't fit into the societal standard and like the industry standard. That that is a pretty jarring case, to be honest. I I see that as kind of like the physical manifestation of rigid beauty standard. And I I don't know how many people would buy into his idea, but but having this type of store is definitely not helpful in promoting inclusivity and diversity. I was just thinking about another case, another student that I saw. Uh, once again, this is somebody in her freshman year, and she was really ruminating about losing weight. And it turns out she was pretty skinny just two years ago because, well, obviously, when you're a teenager, when you're like 17, 19 years old, obviously, this is the time when your body changes a lot because you physically develop. And she was very focused or hyper-focused on the beauty idea that's like when she was 17 years old, that was her prime age. And she has been really wanting to go back to that stage in her life. And she she mentions she wants to lose weight because she wants to go back to that period of time of how she used to be looking. And unfortunately, maybe maybe that's maybe that's not how it goes because you can't always stay looking like a teenager throughout all your life. I was also reminded maybe this is this is story time, this is gossip time. But if you guys do if you guys know Princess Cece. She was the Empress of Austria, and she was married to um, Joseph Franz I. There was an, a really popular movie about her, but the real-life story of hers is a little bit more tragic. After she was married to the Emperor, um, she basically lost control of her life. She gave birth to, to two princesses, but unfortunately, her mother-in-law took those princesses away from her, and uh, in Princess Sissy did not even have the chance to give her children the name she wanted to give them. And obviously, living with, uh, within the royal courts, there's a whole lot of rigid ideals of how you should behave, what things you can do and cannot do. So, so th there was the, the only thing that was, she was able to have control over was how she looked. And when she was young, when she was 15, 16 years old, she was known throughout Europe for her beauty. So throughout all her life, she she was hyper aware of how she looked. She would spend like two to three hours exercising every day and really restricting on her food intake, spending two hours just letting people comb through her hair every day in order to try to have a sense of control of her life. Okay, at least I still have something, which is my beauty with me. doesn't matter how shitty my life became. And sometimes people develop eating disorder, but the underlying idea was also because they want to go back to a period of time in their life or a physical appearance once they had that they really liked. But unfortunately, our life goes like a river and sometimes we have to make adjustments. And there were times that cannot come back. And if we're hyper aware or being rigid about what 
our life should be like, then that can be harmful. Maybe this is not necessarily, I'm going on a detour away from the consumerism I was talking about, but this is also one that things can contribute to developing an eating disorder. I've actually never heard of that story before, but it's really heartbreaking. Um, I think that definitely is a trend uh, with kids these days, since we don't have a lot of things that we can control. Um, we might latch on to these physical stuff. But, um, okay, so now I would like to uh, turn this into a more positive a conversation about how we can make a change. So how do we, what are some ways in which we can feel healthy and confident without um, playing into this ideal of societal body image? Like what are some ways that you think um, would be great for kids like us to cope with instead of, you know, focusing, being hyper aware of our bodies? I think we we touched on um, a couple of ideas uh, throughout our conversation. If we were to develop uh, um, to group this into um, a few different big rooms, the first one is to accept self acceptance. Is I see myself as a whole entire being instead of hyper aware of one specific aspect of myself. I can see that I shine. There are my strengths within me. And I focus on my strengths instead of focusing on my deficits. That is kind of like the first, the first realm of like what we can do, which is self-acceptance. And um, if you don't mind, would you mind, would you guys, would you guys mind to name a few things that you think you guys are good at or that you really like about yourself? Um... Let's do a little bit of modeling right here. <laughs> Okay. I think I'd like to think that I'm pretty smart and um a generally nice person and I think I have um I give out positive vibes. I think that is my favorite thing about myself. Your turn, Yui. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> giving out positive vibes. Yes. I think I'm very um, I'm um, very confident in myself. Um, I know uh, I'm very goal oriented. I know what I like to do in life and how to achieve it. And I know how to have fun with myself. I think those are my favorite things about me. I know how to have fun with myself. I think that's so important. And. On, on a detour, this is a very, very important skill. It yes. will benefit you a lot, particularly for like for me when I was in when, when I was an international student, when I went to the state when I was 15 years old, that was the skill I need. Knowing how to be in solidarity but not be lonely. I think that is that is really important. So I think you guys mm -hmm. did a great job. That's like the things that you can do. So in your daily life, let's say, you guys can give yourself compliments. Like for example, we are having this conversation. You guys made it happen. You guys can say, yeah, I did good. I did good today. I, 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 I used my time and used my energy to have this talk. I did good. 
just like in throughout your daily life, you can see the things that you have done and say, say to yourself, I am enough. I did good that I was able to do this. And, and if I am unable to meet my goals, that's still, that's still okay. Because I know some, somewhere down the line in my life, if I have this resilience, I will be able to do the things, most of the things that I want to accomplish. So that's that's self acceptance part, and the other part is building resilience. We also kind of talked about this, building resilience to adversity in our life, resilience to develop not overwhelming amount of anxiety. So maybe this is also a question I want to ask you guys. When you guys are feeling really stressed out, what are some of the things you do to help yourself calm down a little bit? Um, personally, I watch a lot of comedies and listen to yeah. music to cope with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think me too. Mostly music is a big, um, like major stress relief for me in life. And, um, also just like hanging out with friends to like rant about what you're stressed about. And in general, I think those are the most um, useful stress reliefs for me. Definitely. Listening to music, doing things on your own, that means that's in that category, or hanging out, reaching out to your social support. I think those are great ideas. So some of the tips I might give out is, first, think about what are the things that you enjoy doing and try to make that into a routine of your life. Like, for example, make sure that I get an hour of time doing the things I enjoy at least once per week. Mm-hmm. Like st- setting up a routine, that would be helpful. And another mm-hmm. part that is so important, like we mentioned, this, the society, the environment puts so much pressure yeah. on us, particularly when we are in a highly competitive school like Carnegie Mellon University, or I imagine your guys, your your high school is also pretty competitive. In this type of environment, there is oppression anywhere in this world. So try to find a community where you can feel happy here, where you can feel my voices get to be heard and I get to say the things that I want to say. That would be mm-hmm. uh, that would be tremendously helpful along your life. And um, maybe this is time to think about like, okay, if something happens to me, who are the few people in my life that I feel comfortable talking about this with? And try to try to build this type of community around you. Also try to be the force of change. Be there for your mm-hmm. friends too. I think, Definitely. I, yeah, I think those, those are the tips I would develop. Thank you so much for those. Um, I think we've, uh, throughout that discourse, um, there are some very important po- question posed, and I would in- like to invite all of our audience members to reflect on those questions, specifically, um, what are some qualities that you like about yourself? Uh, how do you usually cope with stress? And um, who do you feel comfortable talking to? And upon reflecting on those, I would like to say that everyone has done a good job surviving high school. And let's just all enjoy our lives together. So thank you so much, Bella, for thank you um, so much joining us here at Soapbox. 
no problem. It was nice meeting you guys too. And that would be the end of our episode today. Thank you guys so much for listening and goodbye. Bye. Bye.